Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the legendary Mr. John Barrows, Mr. Make It Happen, for a number round two. Nick, why should people listen? At my very first sales job, Armand, I wasn't a very good salesperson, and I rode my bike to and from work, and I remember some days just having a really tough time and crying on the bike on the way home, because I'm like, man, this isn't for me. I found a podcast, and it was John Barrow's podcast, and I started to learn from John and listen to John, and he's part of the reason that the show even exists, because he kept me in the profession of sales. So if you want to have somebody who's like a foundational element of my sales career, you probably want to hear John today. Three, two, one, everybody, it's Nick's birthday today, so everybody message birthday. Nick on LinkedIn and say happy birthday, Nick. Make it happen. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, -head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free.
All right, John, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. So top three, it's always my number one. You could Google it, Jay Barrow's favorite nugget. It's my summary email that makes sure you don't get ghosted too, but the summary email holds people accountable and make sure that you're going through the sales process the right way. The way it works is you and I have a conversation. I take all my notes. At the end of the conversation, I'm going to say, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. There's some next steps and action items. Before I go ahead and do that though, I'm going to briefly summarize what I was able to gain from our conversation today. And I'll send it over to you in a quick email. Could you do me a favor and email me back to let me know if it's all accurate and if I missed anything. If I do not say that, you got to let them know it's coming. Because if you don't, then the response rates drop through the floor. But if you do, you should get about a 25-30% response rate. And then afterwards, do not write a book here. This is not a chance for you to reiterate your value proposition. This is purely to confirm what you heard from them. Current situations, this, timelines, this, the impact is this, your priorities are this, the next steps are that, whatever. Send that to them. If you get a response, you're in pretty good shape. I have a 90% close ratio by the way, when I get a response from that, and it's usually from executives. When I don't get a response, I have a 42% close ratio. Still great, but it tells me something because if you and I just had that conversation, I told you I was going to summarize it and then asked you if you'd respond and you don't, something's off. And then I can use that to hold you accountable, but that's another part of the story. My second one would be rapport building with your virtual background. Right now, we've lost the ability to go into somebody's office and look around and develop rapport in those first five, 10 minutes of every meeting. It's a 30-minute meeting mostly, and it's in and it's out. And so rapport is really hard to build. And a lot of people have virtual backgrounds, so I can't even connect. Like you guys, I'm looking at you right now. There's nothing in your background for me to connect to. How, so instead of that, put stuff in your background that people can connect to. Example, I have a friend who actually has a picture of the dude from The Big Lebowski. And so as soon as you log into his Zoom session, you see the picture of the dude sitting up there right next to him. And there's two reactions that people have to that. One is, oh man, that's one of my favorite movies, The Big Lebowski. And there's instant rapport right there. The other response to that is no response. And if I got a picture of the dude right next to me and you don't say anything about that, that means you and I are on a different level when it comes to humor, right? So I got to adjust. I got to try something different. So that's the other one. The third one is, and this is one of my favorites these days, is having a reason for your question. I've always talked about when it comes to cold calling, have a reason for your call. That's what gets touching base and checking in out of your vocabulary. But even better, there's a psychology around having a reason for what you're doing. So having a reason for your question, the easiest way, whether or not to figure out you have a good question or not, is to answer What's the reason for your, assume that every single time you ask a question to a prospect, they're going to push back on you and say, why do you need to know that? And you have to have a good reason. And if the reason is self-centered, and we're going to talk about this, it's a qualification question. If the reason is about them, it's a discovery question. And sometimes you can use that reason to preempt their answer if you think they're going to be uncomfortable giving it to you. Example, I'll ask a lot of times, hey, so who else, you, who else are you talking to? Who's the competition? And sometimes you'll, you know, people usually below the power line are going to say, eh, I'm not really comfortable telling you that we're looking at three vendors. So because I used to get that a lot, I would preempt their answer with my reason. And I would say, hey, what's, who's the competition? And the reason I ask is because if you're talking to, and I would name my top three or four competitors, if you're talking to us, well, then you're in pretty good, you're comparing apples to apples there. But then if you're, if you're, if you're talking to X, Y, and Z, like different, like solo consultants or something like that, you're comparing apples to oranges to lemons and you are going to have a hard time answering that, making this decision, which is why I'm asking you the question. And when you do that, you feel their anxiety drop a little bit and they're more open to giving you the answer. So those are my top three. So John, one place where 
the reason that you're asking the question is particularly important is in qualification questions, as you described, because they're very self-serving. Qualification questions around timeline, your budget, are you at power, what have you, those serve us, they don't help the buyer. So I'm curious, when you jump into a call and someone's like, John, I want sales training. Are you doing what a lot of reps do, which is jumping right into Bant and qualifying the heck out of them? Or do you focus on them first and then come back to that stuff? How do you mix in discovery and qualification so it doesn't feel like an interrogation up front? I try to get the qualification out of the way as fast as I possibly can, right? And ideally, I've gotten it out of the way before this conversation even happens. We talked about this on the last podcast, the meeting efficiency survey, those type of things, that inbound lead form that I use or whatever, right? So I have at least a gut check that you're at least in the range here of somebody that fits the mold. But if I don't, I set the stage with a, with a and we'll call it the Sandler upfront contract, right? What's this conversation going to be about? And I'm going to tell you how it's going to go. I'll say something like this. Armand, thanks so much for your time today. Look, I got a few quick questions here that I got to ask you that I just got to get out of the way. Some of the basic stuff here. You mind if I just rip through five or six quick ones here? And then we'll start to talk about what the real meat of this meeting is all about, which is you. And, and when I say that, I quantify, Armand, how many questions I'm going to ask you. I say... Armand, I got like six questions I'm going to ask you because there's some gong data out there that the best reps talk about this. They talk about 11 to 14 questions throughout the, that initial call, right? But except for when it comes to executives, you have about four questions you can ask an executive before it falls off the map. And I know we've all been there before where we've been asking questions to an executive and about after the third or fourth one, they stop and they go, could you just show me the demo? Could you just show me what this thing is? What they're saying there is time to value. Like I've given you enough value here, kid. When am I going to get mine? Okay. But if you tell an executive, I have five questions for you, they will typically sit and wait for five questions. But after you give me that information, then I'm going to move into discovery and I'm going to start asking real questions, questions with a reason. Why am I asking this question? Well, because it, now it, I'm trying to figure out what your actual problem is and what the impact of that problem is to your business. And that's a tip for everybody listening to this. An easy way to adjust your questions and figure out real questions is, outside of having a reason, talk about impact. And I'll give everybody a perfect example here. At, we all ask the timeline question, right? So when do you want to have this live, right? And they'll say October 1st, whatever. So you say, okay, and we do the reverse sale. We say, okay, well, if you want it live on October 1st, well, then two weeks, it's going to be two weeks on paperwork, and then we got to put two weeks on boarding and all that. So if you really want it live on October 1st, we got to sign this week, right? We all do that. But what we should be asking in addition to that is, hey, just out of curiosity, what's the impact if we don't launch on October 1st? And just wait for that answer, because there's only two answers to that question. One is real impact with real, like, well, if we don't, and it's not just because we miss the, you know, we're going to have to stay with our existing vendor or we're going to miss the discount. That's not like, what's the impact of you staying with your existing vendor, right? So there's a real answer to it. Well, like we're going to miss out on this and we're going to lose out on this, whatever that is. And it's quantifiable. The other answer to that question is pretty much anything other than that. And it usually goes, well, you know, we'll probably just stay doing what we're doing. And if you have, if you get at that answer, you either in, either not talking to the right person, or I would not forecast that opportunity. I want to go to the beginning of this call where Armand sort of role played. He's like, John, we need sales training. And when you get a buyer who just throws that at you right away, maybe it's an inbound lead, their perception of what should happen is that, all right, you tell them how you can help, you give them a quote, they get that quote and compare it, and then they walk away. And what the reality of needs to happen there is I think you need to do a little bit more work as the salesperson in this scenario. My question for you, 
How do you reset their expectation in that scenario? Because they're coming in hard with an ask of, we need sales training. Give me some info, John. Give me your pitch. There's two types of buyers. There's sophisticated buyers and there's unsophisticated buyers. Sophisticated buyers have done their homework. They, you know, we all heard the stat by the time somebody comes to us, they're already 60, 70%, whatever that stupid stat is. But with that, like that's where, so I'm going to ask you, hey, Nick, in that scenario, I'm going to try to figure you out whether you're sophisticated or not. I'm going to say, all right, Nick, happy to share with you all the details of our training. Could you just help us understand, help me understand how you got here? Like, what have you seen so far? What do you know? Why are you looking for training? Right. And if you can be like, look, John, I've looked at Sandler. I've looked at Miller Hyman. I've looked at, you know, I've, I've gone on your website. I've seen some of your reviews on G2. We know we're looking for prospecting training and it sounds like you guys are some of the best in the industry at it. So I really just want to understand a little bit more about your philosophy around prospecting and what the price is. If you tell me that, Nick, here it is. Like, yep, well, our prospecting training does X, Y, and Z, and it's going to cost you $25,000, and this is where it is. I, I would even blink, because if you try to force that person back through your discovery process, you will lose them in a heartbeat, okay? Now, the unsophisticated buyer, the person who typically was told to go look into solutions by an executive, and they are just going through the motions, no, 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 no. We're going to back out of this because you're not going to be able to give me a good answer of how you got to this point or the why we're having this conversation. So that's where I take a step back and I say, okay, talk to me about why you're looking for, what was the trigger here to like, you know, sales training. You could always do sales training. Why now? Right? So it's those two questions. Why sales training and why now? And it's, well, you know, and if they give me fluffy answers to that type of stuff, it's like, well, look, typically, and I know you got, you love the word typically, Nick here, typically when people come to us, they're for one of two reasons, this or this, we are not good. And I, and I actually start disqualifying in a lot of ways. I go, let me tell you what we're not. We are not a methodology. We are not some big, heavy consulting firm that's going to come in and here and assess your situation. We are not this. So we are this. Is that what you're looking for? And if they're like, well, you know, I don't know. It's like, look, fine. You know what? Why don't I do this? I'll send you some information about our programs. You can funnel this through internally with whoever you need to. And then after that, you want to schedule a follow-up call where we can talk about specifics because we're the right fit. Feel free to reach back out to me. Here's the link to my calendar. See you later. And I will get off of that call pretty quickly. So it's really dependent upon who the person is that I'm talking to, how they got there. And then, and based on that is how I expand the discovery call from there. So John, let's say that they've explicitly opted in at this point. You said, I'm not this, I'm this. And they say, John, that sounds great. I know you have the filling the funnel program. I might say something in return saying, our SDRs, they're just like, I hear them on the phones. They don't sound very good. I look at their emails. They look pretty bad. And it's just a complete mess here. What you have to do is your ideal scenario, to my knowledge, is you want to bring them from that situation all the way to missing a pipeline goal, missing a revenue goal, what have you. So how are you using questions to walk them through a qualitative situation that they see today and that they don't like their SDRs emails to what that actually means for their business? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I first start by trying to build some credibility, again, going back to telling you what I'm not, but also asking them questions that they probably haven't thought of before. For instance, Nick, or, you know, Armand, you tell me that your SDRs, their emails are a little rough and their calls are a little rough. Armand, let me ask you, how do you know you even have the right SDRs on the, on the boat right now to be able to make this work, make any training work? Have you done an assessment of your team right now to understand the, are they coachable? Are they the right people on the bus? And usually the answer is absolutely not. 
right? I macro out. I'd be like, all right, can we just take a step back here for a second? Like, what does that mean that your SDRs, so if your SDRs aren't, ours aren't good you say, from your perspective, like how not good are they? Can you help me quantify that? Are they missing their numbers? Like what are your goals and projections for this year? How much net new revenue needs to come in through your SDR team for us to justify? And I'll share with you my experience about SDRs and how the model of this whole thing is moving and how I don't think it's actually a viable model moving forward here. So I'm going to give you some ideas. And the whole thing is it ends up being genuine curiosity, right? I am genuinely curious of how you got into the situation that you're in right now and where you want to go with it. Because if I can really figure those two things out, then I can, and I can figure out where I can help you, then I'm going to start to push on you pretty hard because I know I can make a difference for you. I do believe you have to kind of quantify what the problem is, but I don't believe it's an ROI conversation and no executive's ever going to believe an ROI calculator. So that's why I'm not as hardcore as about the, like the hardcore quantifiable impact because it's more questions. It's more curiosity. It's more trying to understand and stop selling. Look to understand. John, I want to know how in a real sales conversation, right? You're sitting down with Armand. He's the head of sales and Armand is a little bit I don't know, misguided. And he does ask you for an ROI calculator. And Armand's the head of sales, right? He's the guy who's signing this thing. I know in that call, you're not rolling your eyes and making Armand feel like a fool. What are you responding to him there? What are you saying? Are you saying, man, you're an idiot? Like, what's your response when somebody asks you for that? I'll be like, Armand, again, this is also, you have to know what you're selling and where you fit. Let me be very clear here. I do not sell multi-million dollar things. When you're a Miller-Hyman, when you're a Taz, when you're a Spin, when, when you are selling multi-million dollar sales training contracts, you better know what those ROI metrics are. You better be able to put that through so that somebody's going to spend that kind of money because they're going to implement that all the way through and expect it and hold you accountable. What I sell is just enough to take it seriously, but not too seriously. So I have a real conversation and I say this, Armand, can I ask you something? I understand ROI, man, and I can give you a number if you want me to. I, you know, I have a bunch of emails from people and that says, oh, we've increased 30%, whatever it is. And whatever that, K first of all, I need to understand what's the exact KPI, Armand, you want me to show you that ROI on? Because I'm going to have to do some homework for you on this one to find some relevant customers on that because I can't guarantee anything. But let me ask you, Armand, how much of this are you making to invest in from an ROI standpoint versus uh, quantifiable ROI versus just showing that you've invested in your team? And I will let that question sit and I will shut up until you answer that question. I will make that awkward silence very awkward because I know what the answer is. The majority of people that invest in this training, $30,000 is a number that is like, yep, you've made an investment, but it's not a million dollar number that makes it so I have to follow through on it. Really, as a manager, as a, an executive, make sure that we got the most out of that 20 grand. It just is what it is. I mean, it's my ICP, right? So when I say how much of this is to actually just show your team that you're investing in them compared to specific ROI metrics, nine times out of 10, they'll take a breath and they'll say, yeah, it's really to show that I'm investing in my team. And we got to justify this some way, John. So, okay, I'll let me work with you on that. But don't tell me this is about ROI. And by the way, Nick, I rarely get it from executives. And when I do get it from executives and I have that talk track, they actually don't work with me because they're in a different mindset. They're in a different mindset and they are not the type of client I want to work with in the first place. That's not, I mean, yes, ROI is obvious in what I do, but how can you quantify motivation? How can you quantify bringing somebody like me in with a different voice to reinforce your message that you've been trying to get through to them and nobody's been paying attention to? How do you quantify that?
So I think it's really about being super confident in what you deliver and where you fit and who you fit for. Now, that is very hard for a junior AE who has a territory that has to close their quota. So I think you obviously can't be as harsh as I can. But as soon as you really hone in on who your true ICP is and you focus all of your energy on on the maximum level of value that you can bring to that exact one and you avoid everybody else that doesn't, you'd be amazed at how high your close ratios go and how and how your time management works out. So John, it sounds different, but it's actually not so different from selling SaaS is I find that the best sellers out in the world don't try to say that their company is the best for everything in the world. And usually if you do it right, what you're not good at does not align with your ICP anyways. And then what you are good at aligns with the person that you're talking to if you are talking to someone in ICP. So when you talk about, like if we were to break this down and make it practical for someone selling software, and I wanted to walk someone through what I think my competitors are good at versus what I think I'm good at and what I am purpose built for. Can you walk us through like, how do you do that and position yourself against the competition in a different category? So again, I go back to that sell to the 20%, okay? Only about 10 to 20% of the functionality of, like that's how I believe people buy. They don't buy your entire thing. They buy the, the sliver of it that aligns with their priorities and what they're trying to accomplish here, okay? So hopefully throughout my discovery, I've asked the right questions to figure out what that real 20% is. So I'll, I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, you're talking to us and Gap Selling, fantastic. Well, I mean, Keenan, his program around discovery and that true gap between where you currently are and where you wanna go, that is gold. I actually use a lot of it my stuff. But you had said earlier that, that your main problem was that top of funnel, like getting meetings that you can apply that to. Cause you guys are kind of a Sandler shop, right? You guys do the upfront contract stuff and the reverse pain funnel, those type of things. So it sounds like discovery. So really where our sweet spot is, is that top of funnel stuff. We give them structure and product. Like, so I'll boost them up. And the, the example that maybe on a more macro level is this, like, let's say gong versus sales loft. You know what I mean? Like if you are looking for a platform where you can make sure that you are staying on top of a certain thing and everything's aggregated into one and you can go prospect all the way through to the ends, then okay, then sales loss probably the conversation. And I'm, if I'm gong, I'm like, well, we're moving towards more towards the platform, but really our sweet spot is call recording, coaching, those type of things, right? So, oh, you know what I mean? Well, no, actually we really need that. Oh, well, that's really our specialty, right? And so I can peel this million different ways as far as software of what I'm selling, but it's that 20 fucking percent that makes the difference. Otherwise, if you tell somebody everything that you do, I don't care how good it all is, it all ends up being average and nothing stands out. 30 slides in a slide deck. If you have 30 slides in a slide deck, I promise you 20 of them are irrelevant to the person you are presenting to, at least 20 of them. So John, let's continue this example. I'm opting in to the 20% of what you have to offer. Now, I know you do a lot of things in sales training. Once you know what they care about and what is most important to them, I'm curious, the parallel example would be, what do I show in a software demo? What do you decide to share with your prospect in terms of what your training program is and how deep do you go there to make sure that you've given them just enough? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to go back to one of those tips that I get in the beginning, the summary email, right? One of the things with discovery is you've got to figure out what the decision criteria is and then make sure you prioritize it. 
So how are you making this decision? So once you get through that and you figure out that 20%, you'd be like, okay, well then based on that, based on this conversation, what are the criteria that you're using right now to evaluate the vendors, right? And so help me understand, right? And and they'll probably throw out some basic stuff. So I'm like kind of the normal, like, well, pricing is always an issue, no, 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 right? Then what you should do is you should actually insert things into there that they're not thinking about. So for me, it'd be stuff like personality of the trainer. I'm like, have you thought of that? And they'll be like, what do you mean? I'll be like, well, look, training is all well and good, but if somebody, you got a dud delivering it, or if you got somebody that doesn't mesh with your team, it doesn't matter how good that training is. And they're like, ooh, right? Oh, I haven't thought of that. I haven't thought of that. I haven't thought of that. So as I'm doing that, as I'm bringing other things that I think you should be paying attention to, I'm reshaping what your priorities are in that conversation, right? So now after that, I okay, so it sounds like, that the main things that you're looking for are X, Y, and Z. Yes, we do a lot. I know there's a lot of other things you're looking at here, but the three big things that you really want to make sure that you're hitting are X, Y, and Z, right? Yes. Fantastic. Cool. Well, now, and I, I don't do a qualification call than a presentation. You know what I mean? I don't say, I'm, I'm way more fluid with what I do. I, I bounce back and forth during a call and I'll bring th- stuff up and I'll take stuff down. So if it then necessitates a, like, so what I, I have a big spreadsheet that I use, so consider it a demo kind of thing. What I'll say is, all right, look, and say we got, say we got three people on the call, right? I'll be like, okay, so this is what I heard from you. Is that all accurate? Great. So now I, I want to show you some stuff here, but before we get started, Armand, what's the one thing that you need to see about my program here that's going to earn the right to have this, extend this conversation? Nick, what's the one thing that you need to see as I walk through this? Sarah, what's the one thing you need to see as I walk? And I'm writing that stuff down, by the way. I'm like, I'm in visually, I'm writing it down so you see I'm paying attention to this. Then what I do is as I start my demo or presentation, however it's positioned. So then what you do is you start going through the presentation. So, okay, so here's, you know, let me just set you up. And instead of getting to a point, and we all do this, and unfortunately I used to do this too much, where as you're presenting, you say something like, does that make sense? That is a insulting question to ask. Do not say, does that make sense? Basically, hey, idiot, does that make sense? And by the way, does anybody ever say no to that question? Anybody, everybody be like, wow, what you just said there blew my mind. Like, no. And, and, and if, even if they say yes, does that tell you whether or not it made sense or not? No. So instead of that, what you do is you go, hey, you know what, Armand, you had said earlier, consistency of message was one of the critical factors here because you're just all over the place with your messaging. Sales loft or outreach is just a nightmare right now. So here's an actual formula of how we create sales ready messaging. And this is how it works. And I'm going to pause there and I'm going to pull you into this conversation, Armand. And I'm going to say, Armand, instead of saying, does that make sense? I'm going to say, Armand, how does that compare to what you're doing now? Could you explain to me how that compares to how you're coming up with your messaging now? Could you give me an example of how you see this fitting into your existing workflow? Because the way you explain to me how it compares to what you're doing now or how you see it fitting into your existing workflow tells me everything I need to know on whether or not it made sense or not. And then I go, okay, cool, great. So now, boom, 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 Nick, you had said earlier, your main thing was this. Well, here's the part. Give me an example. Blah, 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 blah. Fantastic. What did I miss? Is there anything else? I know this, look, we could, we could have another hour-long conversation about our training and all this other stuff or our software, whatever it is. What did I miss here? Actually, nothing, John. All right, cool. Well, then you talk about next steps and all that other stuff. But then what you want to do is this. Hey, um, Nick, Armand, look, I'm sure you're probably going to talk to some other vendors here. I, I, I actually recommend you do. 
my opinion based on what I heard from you. You should probably also talk to Keenan, Lori Richardson, and Richard Harris. You should probably talk to those three as well because they all have a slightly different spin on this stuff. Let me ask you though, if something comes up in those conversations that we didn't discuss in our conversation here, would you just give me the courtesy of being able to explain one way or another whether we can do that thing or not? Because I'm basing my entire proposal, my presentation off of what you told me in this call. And I know priorities change. And one more nugget that I'll throw out there for everybody. When I say discovery, discovery isn't a stage. I wish people would stop looking at it as a stage in the sales process. Discovery happens throughout the entire sales process, right? You should always be discovering. So here is a little golden nugget that you can ask. Every single meeting you have after the first one, so whether it's your second one, third one, fourth one, whatever it is, every single meeting, your first question to your main point of contact, and you can do this as your small talk question, is... Hey, uh, Nick, as we all get settled here, what's changed since our last conversation? Not has anything changed, not a closed-ended question, open-ended question, assumptive, what's changed? Even if it was last week, something that they don't think is really all that important, you might be able to pick up on and say, oh, whoa, 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 that's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. So folks, what John just went through is truly finding the key business problem all the way through a competitive head-to-head. So to recap, John, here's what I'm hearing, is number one, you're telling them who you are versus who you're not. So you're already narrowing the scope of the types of problems you're willing to solve. Then you're finding their biggest priority within that 20%. But then what you're doing is, once you listen for their priorities, you are actually adding to their priorities of things that, hey, when I hear this priority, here are three other things that a sales leader hasn't heard of. So you're showing that you're an advisor, right? You're not just asking, what do you want? You're saying, hey, based on what you want, here are three other things you probably haven't thought of. And here's how you know that I know my stuff. From there, what you do is once you start to talk about, quote unquote, your thing, you ask them to laser in on the one most important thing, each person in the room. And that is exactly what you are showing. You're not showing the 80%, you're showing the 20%. And all you're doing is you're calling back to exactly what you learned in that first discovery call, saying you mentioned this, so we do this. You mentioned this, how does this compare to that problem that you described in that first call? And then the last thing you do is just in case that 20% changes from a competitor conversation, You're leaving that door open and saying, hey, in case that change is based on a competitive conversation you can have, can you at least give me the chance to talk about that? Because I've explicitly not talked about that in this call. We're running out of time, so we got to move to the final question. So John, you've talked about a ton of really great things salespeople should be doing. The final question is the inverse of that. The final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it helps? I mean, I see it all too, way too often today of just sales reps going through the motions. They don't care about what they're selling. They don't care about what they're selling. And I'm sitting there, and and if you are listening to this podcast right now, and you do not care, and you do not believe in what you're selling, and that it makes a real difference for the right person, then do us all a favor and get out of this profession and go find something else to do. Because you're just a dirtbag sales rep looking for a commission check. If you genuinely believe in what you do, I'll say it again, I've said it before, sales is the transfer of enthusiasm. 
right? If you believe in what you're selling, I'm not saying this is, this is an easy job by any stretch of the imagination, but man, it's easier and you can make a real difference. So what they should stop doing is going through the motions and start caring about what they're doing and looking at what they're selling and see if it really does make a difference and if they believe in it. If they don't, go find another job. Boom. John, thank you for joining us. I'll tell you, you've made a difference for me. I know you've made a difference for Armand. So thank you for all that you've done for this profession. Thanks for joining us. And everybody, stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with John Barrows include number one, look, you got to do qualification up front, but if you're going to do it, quantify the number of qualification questions you're going to ask them up front so you've time bound it and set the expectation that you're doing qualification. Number two. What you should be doing is you should be honing into your ICP. And what that means is very early on, tell your prospects what you are and what you are not. In other words, here's what your competitors are great for. In other words, here are the things that most of your ICP customers don't want. And if you are part of our ICP, here's what we hit a home run on. That's number two. And then number three what you need to do is once you've understood their priorities, don't just stop there by continuing to ask them questions about their priorities. What you should be doing is adding to their priorities. In other words, saying, typically when someone has priority X, here's A, B, and C that you might not have thought of to demonstrate your credibility. And then lastly, number four, once you have all those things on the plate, summarize all of those things in a recap email that says the five biggest things that they're trying to solve for, their timeline, their budget, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what you cover in the next call. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? So one thing that I have always heard from John is he talks about making a difference in people's lives. And John has made a difference in ours. And I'd like to let him know that. So if you enjoyed this interview, if John helped you learn even one thing, send him a note on LinkedIn Say, hey, I heard you on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Thanks for joining them. Thanks for doing what you do. I think it would make a difference to him, and I'd like to say thank you to him that way. So thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.